Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 103 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How's everybody doing? I just saw on The Mandolin Cafe's Facebook page, it was the one-year anniversary of uh, the article they did on me. It just still blows my mind that I got to have an article on my favorite website, so uh, that was exciting to see this morning. Uh, How's everybody doing? I hope you all are doing well. So excited to have John Reichman on again as a guest. And even though I've talked to John, boy, a few times now, we did the podcast, a track by track. He did a thing for the uh, Tony Rice episode. I still get nervous talking to him because he's just one of my favorite, favorite players. And um, the new album is just fantastic. Uh, Came out a week ago. Uh, We were going to initially air this the week before. But they had a lot of press things already lined up for that, so we're doing it the week after it came out. So hopefully you've heard it and and listened to it already. And if not, pause this, buy that album, and uh, come back and listen to this episode where we talk about a bunch of the tracks on the album. I mean, it's just fantastic. I've been listening to it almost every single day, I would say. So... Uh, and, you know, if you believe in osmosis, it makes you a better player. <laughs> so thank you to John uh, and thank you to everybody who listens. Thank you to everybody who also went last week and signed up to the mailing list. If you go to mandolinsandbeer.com, a little pop up should come up asking you for your email address and that will just sign you up to a mailing list. I should have done that two years ago and I didn't. So if, thank you for the people who did sign up for that. I hope to have a few more giveaways. We just gave away a year subscription to Peghead Nation uh, last week. So Uh, That's exciting. Speaking of exciting, I'm excited to announce this new mandolin workshop Jake Sheps is putting on. Jake's a killer banjo player, and he's put together a killer lineup of people for this modern mandolin workshop. Uh, It's a three-day online mandolin camp aimed at teaching accessible techniques that add color to your playing and tangibly improve your musicianship. Regardless of your favorite styles, the Modern Mandolin Workshop will expand your expertise and inspire countless new ideas that will raise your playing to new heights. It's November 4th through the 6th of 2021, and you can get an all-access pass for only $250, though... If you sign up before October 1st, you can get a 10% discount. All classes and concerts will be recorded and accessible after the weekend on a password-protected site, and students will receive tons of sheet music and or tablature. That sounds awesome. What's even more awesome is the faculty includes Jake Jolliffe, Matt Flinner, Maddie Whitler, David Benedict, Tristan Scroggins, Casey Campbell, Dominic Leslie, and a special guest lecture from the legendary Mike Marshall. There's more information at modernmandolin.org where you can also enroll. Those are all former guests of the podcast. So yeah, I was excited to see that. That's going to be killer. I myself am signing up. So you should do that as well. And speaking of incredible instructors, don't forget about PegheadNation.com. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, and Chad Manning. You can't go wrong. And every day you can go on there. There's so much quality stuff. Uh, They have high quality multi-angle video lessons. They've got the downloadable notation and tab. Play along tracks, plenty of tunes and songs to play. And not just mandolin. They've got guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. Bluegrass, old time, jazz, you name it, theory. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code mandolinbeer, all one word, and get your first 30 days for free. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. 
Uh, again, had a blast up there in Michigan with the Northfield folks. Oh, yeah, and also be sure to grab their Instagram as well and check that out. And Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. Let's get into this episode with John Reichman. Hopefully by now you have paused, bought the album, and have come back to check out the behind-the-scenes stories of some of the tracks in the making of this record. Cheers, everybody. All right, now it's my my pleasure to welcome back John Reichman to the podcast. Hey, John, how are you? Well, I'm doing great, Daniel. Thanks for having me back on the show. Yeah, thank you for doing it. We're uh, we're doing it in in um, preparation for your brand new album that is coming out, which is one of the favorite things I have about this podcast is I get to listen to some albums um, before they come out, and uh, this one is just an absolute beauty. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun making it over the past year and a half or so. So uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you you're enjoying it. Oh yeah, I love it. And and before we dig too much into it, um, what have you been up to in in the past year and a half? I mean, we, have you been just making the album pretty much and just focusing on that sort of stuff? Or yeah, that's been a big part of it. Um, you know, what I I actually started it before things shut down, and then I I figured out a way to continue it in a way that seemed uh, seemed you know uh, like a natural as possible way to do it under the circumstances. But then I've also uh, started filming my Peghead Nation videos at home um, with, you know, just using my iPhone and, and uh, recording it separately on, on a, I guess it's uh, Reaper, that, that program. So the, um, yeah, so the sound quality uh, was improved from just an iPhone. For a while I had a little tiny road microphone that clipped onto my iPhone with a lightning attachment and that, that helped, but, but, but having a, a vo- separate vocal mic and separate mandolin mic, then I can send the files to those guys at Peghead and, and, uh, they can mix it. So it sounds, you know, it's the best audio possible. And so I, so I've been doing that and, and teaching some online workshops recently. I, I, uh, was able to teach this at the Swannanoa gathering online version of their camp just a few weeks ago. And the California bluegrass association had a workshop and Brian Oberlin's, uh, uh, music of the West river of the West music camp. That's what I think that's what it's called. And those are all great. It's a, you know, interesting way to teach few private lessons, few, few private lessons, but, but mostly a lot of dog walking. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a professional dog walker, but, uh, yeah, just, just, just my own dog. So that, you know, helps keep me out and about and actually, uh, is a source for some of these tunes. You know, I go for a walk and some of these tunes I hear in my head and sing them into my phone and then go home and learn them. So I'm guessing doing these online courses like the Swannanoa, for instance, I'm guessing, um, unlike probably some things that people are talking about, like businesses working from home, I'm guessing the camps are still going to take place in person as soon as they can again. Yeah, there's there's one uh, that I teach at pretty much every year up here in British Columbia called uh, Nimble Fingers, and they they had to you know postpone last year, but they're going to do uh, maybe a scaled back version of it this year uh, in in August. So I'm I'm scheduled to go to that and. I've had uh, both my shots now, so so I feel pretty good about that, and they're pretty pretty aware 
And also there's a, a, a smaller camp in Montana. Um, I'm not sure what it's called, the Fish and Musician or something like that. John Lowell organizes that. And that's, that's a shorter camp. So I'll be doing that uh, around Labor Day. And then uh, in September, the Jabers will have their first show in, in all this time since last March or two, a year ago, last March, um, at Picking in the Pines in Flagstaff. And that, that's a fantastic festival. So it's a, actually, it's a little daunting to have your first gig be a big, big uh, high profile festival. But <laughs> right, we're right. going to fly in early and you know, spend time together and practice and see if we can play again. Yeah, nothing like doing a festival stage for your first gig together with such incredible onstage sound, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> That's exciting, though. I'm glad that it's coming back. I mean, yeah. the virtual camps, you know, I think they're cool because the fact, you know, anybody from anywhere can take them. But I, I don't think it really uh, – something about the in-person at a camp situation just seems a lot more um, – yeah, well, just easy, you know, to deal yeah, with. Yeah, it was – it, no, it is. I mean, that's, you know, definitely the normal fashion, but it was interesting. Um, you know, some of the one-off workshops that, you know, that are over an hour or an hour and 15 or something like that. Those are fine. But I found that the Swannanoa one where I was teaching uh, the same people uh, five consecutive days, I got to know them a little bit and kind of got to, you know, chat with them a little bit sometimes. And it, it was, it was, it was very similar to a, to a regular camp in, in that way. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Did you do um, did you do any of uh? Oh my gosh, I can't believe I can't think of his name. They're up in Canada. Uh, Andrew, Andrew Collins. Andrew Collins. Andrew Collins. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah. I was. Yeah. I, you yeah, did one I, of his, right? Sec- yeah, yeah. The second one. Yeah, Andrew's a good friend. Yeah, that was and, a great, uh, I was, I was, great idea. Yeah, really. Um, and it, <laughs> unfortunately, my, the my. Uh, my end of things technologically were not uh, very good. You know, the Wi-Fi was messed up. So, you know, if I played anything, it would speed up and slow down and cut in and out. So um, I ended up filming, you know, a couple of the tunes and he shared that with the people after the fact. Oh, cool. And the other thing that was interesting is he asked me to be on for uh, when Bill Monroe is the theme. And I love Bill Monroe and, and I, you know, I try to play that way, you know, from time to time and I've spent some time with it. But it was me, and then the other two guys were Mike Compton and uh, Chris Henry, who were the you know the, the absolute experts at that. So, oh no, like the, the odd man out. But but it, you know, it was fun. It was fun seeing those guys, and, and a good way to go. Yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, well, I mean, I think everybody, especially on with the initial learning curve of trying to figure all this stuff out, had plenty of plenty of camera problems and different things like that. I'm. It was nice that you went through and re-recorded it for everybody. Yeah, well, it's fine. Happy to do it. So let's talk about this album, New Time and Old Acoustic. Your last album, Walk Along John, that was 2013. So it's been a minute. Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, as they say. Um, Yeah, it's, you know, I just was getting to, I had this concept for a while of, of maybe, recording some tunes I had, I had uh, maybe done before, like, well, on, on Walk Long John, I re-recorded It's Been Real, mm-hmm. which I first recorded way back in the 80s with the good old persons. And I wanted to do a similar thing with my tune Salt Spring and maybe a couple others that the Jaybirds had recorded. But 
but maybe use some some of the younger musicians I'd gotten a chance to play with in recent years, and just different folks. You know, similar to Walk Along John, where uh, there's a wide cast of characters. And uh, so I finally started in the late December of 2019, and uh, there's a great studio um, in in Berkeley, California, called Opus, I believe is its oh, name. Oh, yeah. That's what, does yeah, Sharon Gilchrist so, do a bunch of stuff there? Yeah, yeah, she does. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I, I uh, booked the studio and flew down, and um, some of the musicians I wanted, wanted to use I, I knew would be home for the Christmas break. So, uh, and Molly Tuttle and I, had, I'd known her since she was a little kid. And, you know, her, her dad, Jack, uh, was part of the Bay Area bluegrass scene in the 80s. So I knew him and I saw Molly grow up and just watched her keep getting better and better. And and uh, actually had hired her to, to sub on guitar in the Jaybirds a few times and, you know, got to play a lot of music at different camps and asked her if she'd been to be up for recording and she was she was really into it. So she was out because she's from Northern California and uh, Alex Hargraves uh, is from Oregon and he was out. So it was just a flight for him down to, uh, to Berkeley. And then a great young bass player named Max Schwartz who uh, grew up in Berkeley. Uh, he's really, really strong. He's, I'd played some live gigs with him and it was, he's got amazing jazz chops, but he plays banjo and he, and he can play bluegrass bass as well. So he's got a great feel, but, but a uh, real fine ability on that instrument. Got some groove. Yeah, and those three. And then I asked Allison DeGroote uh, to overdub banjo on those. So it was mostly all live, just just a little bit of overdub. She did hers uh, from from afar. Yeah, I was there at the sessions. Like I, uh, she she's Canadian, and uh, she was spending time in Victoria. So I just. Uh, lined up a studio and picked her up and we went to the studio and she, you know, she did a fantastic job and, you know, she, she plays in a band with Molly called the, the Goodbye Girl. So it was kind of a natural fit. And I always wanted to get her on. It was just, uh, I just couldn't get her for the initial session. So, so that was happened just shortly after. Great. I love her playing. Her playing on this album is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's really nice. I hadn't really recorded too much with, um, I did a duet with Chris Cool on Walk Along John. banjo players too much but she's so good i was at a music camp with her and uh just getting to know her and we hadn't really played but we were doing a, a set and uh salt spring came up and we had never played it before and we just kicked it off together and it was like so locked and felt so good i i, I knew then that i wanted her to play on it so um so yeah that's how that all came about
Speaking of Salt Spring, I just had Daryl Anger on too, and there's not a lot of um, uh, musicians that are that are around and playing and still thriving that have had tunes that have kind of made their way into the jam circle as far as you know standard jam songs and salt spring is definitely one of those ones that has made its way in there that's got to be pretty uh satisfying feeling to have it up there with like all those other you know red-haired boy and all these classics that everybody's been playing forever and to have salt spring called out it's amazing yeah it's uh, i feel very honored by it and happy i mean i like the tune but i would have never guessed that you know it would become so popular like, it's been real back in the day when I first recorded it with the good old persons. It was popular regionally, mm-hmm. and I think it spread out a little bit. Um, like, we played in 83 in Vancouver and performed and played It's Been Real, and then we went back the next year. This is when I was living in California. We toured back up in Vancouver the next year, and all the local players were playing that tune. <laughs> so that was awesome. sort of my first inkling of, of that of that happening. Uh, so yeah, but it, I don't know, the salt thing is just kind of amazing how it's taken off. And I love the fact that you wanted to kind of, um, do it with like the, uh, you know, some of these, some of these younger musicians, it's, it, it really is. Um, and I, um, hunted down the first CD before it was on Bandcamp. You know, because it, it had been out of print for such a long time. So I bought it used on Amazon, <laughs> you know, oh, it, and, wow. um, yeah. And, um, it just it's got the same thing, but it's definitely got a different feel in a great way. I mean, it's it's um, it's obviously the same tune, but I really love the way it kicks off. Well, it, it was. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to have the arrangement be uh, different than the original recording where it starts with uh, mandolin and banjo, which I, I think I really love the Jaybirds recording. And I the video we shot, that was like. I guess when we first recorded it on the CD, it was a brand new tune. So, you know, it was just, just wide open what we could do with it. And then when we shot the video that a lot of people have seen, uh, we'd been playing it for 10 or 12 years. So it was just, that's just played live into one microphone that they set up when they shot the video. And I'm very happy with that performance too. But when it came time to record it again, I just wanted to have some subtle differences and, uh, subtle instrumentation. Well, I guess the main thing is it's instead of three finger banjo, it's a claw hammer banjo. And I highly implore people, um, A, besides buying this new album is to go back to Bandcamp and um, pick up that first Jaybird. That whole record is fantastic. I'm so glad that it's oh, out there you. for everybody to get again. Yeah, that was, that was a, that was a fun time. That was in the early days of the band and there's a lot of excitement and energy. Not to say there's not anymore, but it was just, a, you know, <laughs> When, when you first start seeing what's possible, and so that was good. And the, and the, and the one after that, um, that should be on Bandcamp too soon. It's called uh, Field Guide, and it's recorded shortly thereafter. Oh, cool. It's got a similar vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So what was the first track um, that was written for this album? Do you recall? Well, the, like, well, I had Salt Spring. Oh, yeah, aside, I guess aside from that, like first newest track, I guess maybe sure, that was newest track. Well, uh, they, they, I only had um, a few ready to go, and Suzanne's Journey uh, I had written in 2018.
and I was in Ireland with Greg Blake, you know, the great bluegrass singer and guitar yeah. player. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were tour- touring around, and I had heard some traditional uh, Irish music. Uh, Frankie Gavin, you know, the night we got there or the next night, you know, I, so I was exposed to it. And then I was, I was just, you know, we're touring around. I had times to go for walks, and I kept hearing these different tunes would come to me, which, you know, hadn't happened. I hadn't written anything new for a while. And, you know, strangely enough, they had kind of an Irish sound to them. And uh, Suzanne's Journey is a tune that just, I kept hearing that in my head, and I never tried to play it. I just, you know, it was it was enough of a keeper melody that I, I could, you know, conjure it up whenever I wanted to. And then decided to um, get the mandolin out, and it just laid right perfectly on the mandolin. Uh, and it could have worked in a variety of keys, but I just chose G and uh, figured out what the melody was. And then there were some obvious chord changes, but then I, I spent some time trying to find the chords that would set off the melody in a way that I thought sounded sounded the best. So that was a bit of a, of a process. But So that's from 2018. And there's another one uh, on, the, on the recording called um, Bali Huli. town where uh, we, we used as a home base for a lot of the tour and that that came from that time period and let's see there was another tune called crescent moon and that was a melody i had for a long time that i it just came to me on the when i was playing the mandolin kind of late at night at the montana fiddle camp Monarch, Montana. It's great, great music camp. I, I talk there a lot, and uh, the folks are great, and it's a, it's really something I look forward to every year. And um, I didn't know what the chords would be. It took me a long time to figure out what the chords should be, mm-hmm. and and then I asked different people, like my friend John Miller, who I play music with. He's real good with with chords, and he came up with a set, and I and I like them. I like them all, but I couldn't decide and then finally i i narrowed down the chord changes that i thought sounded the best and i it's it's a simple melody but i i wanted to have it to have kind of a a jazz treatment um i'd been listening to uh stolen moments by oliver nelson and it's from that recording blues and the abstract truth Oh yeah, yeah. Not bluegrass in the abstract. Right, right. <laughs> That's another great recording. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, but that that was kind of the vibe, and I guess the Turtle Island String Quartet had done an arrangement of Stolen Moments, and maybe that's what I had in mind because I came around to 
I wasn't sure what the instrumentation would be, but uh, Trent Freeman, who plays fiddle on a lot of this recording, he has a great string quartet, kind of a folk string quartet called the Fretless. And I thought, and I always thought it would be cool to, to record with strings and that they, they, they were already a band and, and he was already on a lot of the records. So he did an arrangement of it and I, I didn't give him much direction. I just said, I wanted it to be jazzier than grassier. And, um, and the chords lent itself to that. And he came up with this great arrangement. So it's me on mandolin and, um, Trent and, um, the rest of his group playing on that. So that was, that was interesting, uh, treatment. Yeah, that's a really that it, and that one sounds great. And it what's great too is it's 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 sounds different than anything on the album, obviously, but yet it fits the album perfectly. Well, that's good. I mean, the, you know, it's all my tunes that come from the same place and maybe have a similar underlying quality. I'm not sure what that quality is, but but uh, uh, I'm I'm really happy with that. It was really fun to uh, to when it actually came time to record it. And then I guess everything else is. Uh, recorded in 2020 into 2021. And and they weren't all during the pandemic. Uh, like a few of them came to me in January of 2020. And then just, I'd have the time to write tunes and tune, you know, I'd get inspirations or I'd hear the tunes in my head and uh, just a variety of tunes. And I had a lot of time to decide how to present them, you know, what the instrumentation should be. So so it, you know, that's a small silver lining to to the situation we were all in is that I had the time and uh, it was, you know, I, I know a lot of people have said this, but it was it's kind of nice to not have to worry about going to the airport every other week or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And uh, and the whole and I I booked the Jaybird, so I got a year off from booking because all the gigs that were canceled. I was able to plug back in for this year and next year. So that, uh, oh, you know, there you go. Was, yeah, it was kind of a, a forced vacation. Actually, <laughs> I, tur- I just turned 65 uh, before the pandemic. So it was like, I felt like, oh, okay, people retire at 65. I guess this is forced retirement. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Well, I have no plans for it. So how could you? A couple things you touched on. One of them is your sound. The thing that just goes through my mind every time, every time, like I listen to the first, like when I first listened to the album, as each song kicked off, I was like, "This guy writes all the good melodies." <laughs> it was just like they're so good. I love the fact that um, uh, Suzanne's journey. It, it, you had to ask several people to make sure it wasn't another song because yeah. you know it and. It's just because it's such a great melody. Like, how could it not be? A, and it's yeah, you you just slay me with your melodies. They're a beautiful. Well, I'm I, yeah, I'm really happy with that, especially because it came to me pretty much fully formed, except for the chords, but the melody itself. And uh, I had to very be very conscious to make the end of the A section not sound like the end of Turkey in the Straw. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with it. And I'm, actually, I'm still waiting for someone to say, oh, that's this, that's such and such, but <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> right, right. And actually, I, I, I'd been able to, I was able to perform that a bit before uh, I recorded it. So I, I, that was, that was a plus. Um, and played it with different people and they, they responded positively to it. So, 
So it was uh, that was that was that was that was this that was the first tune I recorded for the new record. Yeah. It reminds me I have a I have a um one of Andrew Marlin's albums looking at me right at the moment. It reminded me how he had to reach out to you when he wrote a song to make sure it, <laughs> make sure it wasn't one of yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they, yeah, and Andrew's I, I think I'm so impressed by his his ability to write all those great tunes. Um you know, he's he's just such a great writer and player and uh he had another tune he's we we had we 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 and talk to you know talk from time to time and he said he had this other tune that sounded a little bit like uh um one of my tunes and a little bit like one of david grisman tunes so i said oh you should call it bird dog oh that's perfect yeah let's talk about horses of dorigo dorigo's uh it's had a resurgence the in in some tunes i know um david benedict had one yeah, and then there was yeah. a, a fiddle guy, uh, old time uh, George, yeah. George uh, Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's uh, it's named. I mean, Dorigo is a is a place in uh, Australia on the on the east coast. So the east coast. Yeah, the east coast. It's so confusing when you go south of the equator. You don't <laughs> right. know which way it's up. But but uh, it's it's uh, there's a great festival there, and I was there with uh, Eli West. I think that was also in 2018, sort of the end of 2018. And uh, it just, where we were billeted, there were these, uh, we had to drive through this pasture and there were these horses just there. And uh, they just wouldn't get out of the road. <laughs> You'd have to stop. And, and they'd be laying there, you know, just relaxing, chilling out. And then we'd stop and they'd get up and they'd come over and they stuck their heads in the window. You know, they're just these friendly horses. So... I was going to call it the Friendly Horses of Dorigo, but I just thought I'd make it more succinct. album like there's a little story for each song so like to encourage people i would think maybe to uh, be sure to buy a copy of this album because the the liner notes are great man oh thank you yeah thank you for yeah, sounding I, to me yes yeah absolutely um yeah well it's nice to get a little background um but dorigo that festival i can't say enough good things about it it's really really wonderful smallish festival but uh good sound and a lot of good acts, and the the food concessions are really good. It's such a long. How long of a flight is it for you there? Is it long, uh, is it longer well, for you or shorter for you? Uh, well, I guess it would be shorter. Uh, I assume you you would travel the same way. Um, I I went when I went. I my wife and I uh, went to Hawaii together. We never go on vacations like that, but it seemed like a good thing to do. And uh, we went to Hawaii, and then she she flew home to Vancouver, and I went on. And and Eli, Eli had done the same thing, so we met up, and we were on the same flight uh, over. And I think that was from Hawaii to, to um, Sydney was 10 hours. But then on the way back, there, there was a direct flight from, from Melbourne to Vancouver, and I think that was 14 or 15 hours. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. It seems like it's like 
to me, it always seems like it takes five days to fly there when you look at it. It's like, holy cow. Like whenever you look at everyone well, again, because that's like my dream place to go on vacation. And and uh, I'm always looking at flights. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was great. I, I, it was really fun. I mean, it was fun traveling as a duo with Eli. You know, was, the music was really satisfying. But I, I loved Australia and I was very excited about it. You know, I'm kind of a, you know, laid back kind of guy. I don't get super excited, but I was very excited about about that and it, it it was great and, and got to visit with steve gilchrist while while we were there he came to our show didn't get to go to his place but um it was good to see him again speaking of steve you got a gilchrist model one mandolin that you uh yeah. that you play on this album yeah yeah it's it's a great instrument um it's it's his version of a, a junior i guess but um it's it's uh not a lot of ornamentation. I think there's just binding on the top and not on the back. And I think maybe a lot of those A juniors were made of birch rather than uh, maple. So, but this is all really hard and beautifully figured maple. And then the top is red spruce, you know, hard red spruce. And and the, the thing that's great about that mandolin is, you know, I play this F5 all the time, this Lloyd Lohr mandolin and you attack it a certain way, or I do. And then when I go to play an old Gibson round sound hole, I end up having to change my attack to get the sound out. But with this one, I feel like I can attack it the same way as I do the F5. Oh, wow. And I, I, was, I was telling Steve that, and he said, well, yeah, that's what I'm going for, and that's why I use the hardest woods um, I can find for this. And, and it's, it's really a, a beautiful-sounding instrument. It's not tubby like a lot of those uh, old A models, but very, very focused. And um, the only thing is my lore, I had a radius fingerboard put on it when I first got it. And it's pretty radius. I mean, you, I, I haven't played a mandolin that has as, as severe as a radius on it. And the board on this uh, A, A1, I guess is what he calls it, is flat. So it's, it's hard for me to get quite as fluid. So I'm going to see about getting a, a new board put on that instrument. So I'll play it. Play it more than I I do currently. Oh wow, yeah. And um and you tuned it. There's there's two tunes on here that are uh, have like alternate tuning as well. G D G D on on the tune Happy Hollow, uh, which has got the Gilchrist. So the old steeple. Yeah, that, yeah, they're both ones. Yeah, one G D G D. So one is old steeple is in G minor. follows in G major and that's you know that's uh old-time fiddlers use that 
that uh, tuning, but maybe more commonly they use it up a whole step as A-E-A-E. And I had never really messed with that tuning. You know, I, I played with different tunings and uh, mostly I would just drop my E's down to D. So it'd be G-Dad. Um, but I, I knew that was a common old-time fiddle fiddle tune uh, tuning. And rather than tune up to A, you know, because put all that stress on the mandolin. Right, I just, right. Same, same pattern down in G. And I had, I had that... Um, Gilchrist tuned that way and just one day and just picked up the mandolin and, and that old steeple just pretty much came right out. And I, I might've messed around with it a little bit after that, but, but that was pretty organic. And that was, that was an early tune. That was an early, maybe January of 2020. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. And then happy hollow, that's a traditional tune. That's just a, an old time tune that I, I've always, well, I haven't always liked it because I just heard it for the first time a few years ago. But <laughs> but I thought it was it was a great tune and and it would be a, a fun one to do. And uh, I had a session booked with with Trent and uh, Quinn Bashan, who's a wonderful traditional uh, Irish style player. And I only had one tune ready to go. And uh, since I had him, I thought I'd oh I'll try this Happy Hollow that I'd been thinking of. So that that's pretty uh, pretty relaxed presentation of that. Yeah, I love that song, you know, too. Did, yeah, yeah. It's, we just played it, you know, like as if you would jam on something and didn't arrange it too much. What, um, we, let's, a little bit about your songwriting process. You were talking about how you, you get these melodies, and I thought it was interesting that um, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out the chords that you're going to lay underneath it. Um, and that's one thing that always strikes me about your tunes. I remember one of the first tunes of yours I ever was like, I feel like I could try to attempt to learn this was uh, Prairie Jewel. And what I loved about that mm-hmm. song was that it it wasn't just one, four, five. You know, it was like yeah. it didn't just right. lay out like a regular, like a like just a, like a fiddle tune. And so, how do right. you go about that when you get these melodies? How do you go about pulling the song together with the chords and stuff? Well, I guess you know, I I, I like you know interesting chord progressions, and I have a bit of knowledge of what what chords you can substitute for a given note. Um, comes from a bit of jazz study. Actually, I realized it actually came from years ago. You know, uh, the way James Taylor plays Oh Susanna? Yeah. Well, I come from Alabama With my banjo on my knee and I'm bound for Louisiana, my own true love for the sea. It did rain all night the day I left. The weather was bone dry. I learned that years ago, and I didn't know what was happening, but I, I was able to uh, internalize what, what was going on. And it was basically a, a harmonized scale in, you know, in chords. And I, and I tried it on different songs at the time. So that was a, a good education in chord substitution. But later, I, you know, I studied a bit of jazz and learned, you know, what, you know, you know, what jazz players might, might substitute for any given chord. Um, I mean, a little bit of that goes a long ways and I didn't get too deep into it, but I, but I have a knowledge of it to a certain extent. And, um, Salt Spring is one, like, I didn't really know what the chords would be. I mean, 
there are a lot of different possibilities, but, um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I want to set off the melody in the best way by having the, the right chords behind it or what sound sound the best to me. Do you record like a version of the melody and then just kind of loop it and play chords over it? Yeah, I have done that. Some are just completely obvious and there's no, you know, I don't worry about it too much. I mean, um, yeah, it's pretty clear what they're going to be. Like on Ros- Roscoe's Ramble is is like, like to me it sounds my well at least my idea for writing it would be to have a bluegrass tune that would sound good on the banjo. So it's a lot of G, C, and D, and then the bridge goes to E minor. So that's that's pretty straightforward. that that is the uh has the uh dog slash dog connection with the uh <laughs> grisman yeah. and your and your dog roscoe that's amazing that's awesome yeah 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 just well people may read these liner notes but they'll hear, hear this twice and one of my favorite bluegrass recordings was don stover's things in life from, from the early 70s you know great tunes and, and great songs on there and david grisman plays mandolin on it you know it's a good example of that period of his playing in the early 70s where he was you know he could play bluegrass but he had played some other stuff and uh i just the concept for me was to have a tune that would sound good on the banjo as if it was one of the banjo tunes off that recording and it doesn't really sound like any of them but that was just you know a jumping off point so uh so it's i named it for my dog roscoe because <laughs> I name I name tunes for everybody in my immediate family and all the pets, and uh, Roscoe didn't have a tune, so that was one of my goals. So, and Roscoe's Ramble is a perfect name. So, and you have Serafina as that's, well for the for your newest granddaughter. Yeah, that's right. has a tune called Serafina also, but it, I think it's a different spelling. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And then Walk Along John, I had the, her older sister is Anissa, so I had a, Anissa's lullaby on that. What type of, um? you had some pictures, I saw some pictures from when you were in the studio there on the on the Instagram, which by the way, your Instagram has been filled with content, so people should be sure to follow you if they haven't done so already. And um, there was a picture of you in the studio. What was it? pretty unique looking mic setup maybe do you remember what kind of yeah. stuff or do you have, have like a set that you like to use yeah no i i i, I basically know what they are mm-hmm. um it was kind of overkill like i didn't <laughs> need all those mics probably but but the studio had them so you set them up 
and I, actually this people this so after, you know, I'd been recording live in person with people for the most part, and then everything got shut down. And um, I ended up tracking maybe five of the tunes, uh, starting with the mandolin and then sending the files around and having people add their parts. So that was, I started doing that at this great studio in Vancouver called uh, Afterlife. And it's a real old school studio built in the late 50s. And I, I think the Supremes had recorded there. Oh, wow. Led Zeppelin did a harmonica over the other dubs there. So the main tracking room is a big room with high ceilings and, and, and nice, uh, you know, just a really good sound. And so I found that, I mean, I really, I would never choose to record that way, mm-hmm. but it was kind of like if I wanted to keep recording, I had to do that. And so I'd start with rhythm mandolin and then play it through and then play the, the melody to it. And that, that room sounded so good. It was inspiring to play. So I found I could, I could still be musical, not just worrying about making a mistake, you know, and <laughs> playing perfectly in time. Right. But, you know, I put, I'd keep, put one ear on and put one ear off so I could hear the room itself. And it was really, really pretty, pretty satisfying way to go. Uh, but it's a, it's a wonderful studio with a wonderful engineer named John Ram. And he's got a great selection of mics and, I think his go-to mic was a Sheps, uh, and I might have this number wrong. I want to say 220, but that may be wrong. But and he had um, two of those, and I've often recorded with the stereo miking with the with the small diaphragm mics, mm-hmm. like a KM84 or a 54 in uh, in an XY pattern, and then he also had an old Neumann uh, KM56. Oh wow. And which is also great. Yeah. So one of, one of the tracks, I think it's just the 56 and then, and then it, he, I like the sound of the, the other. So he says, Oh, I'll just put them up. So it's three mics, but they're all basically directed towards the same spot on the mandolin, which is the lower, uh, the treble F hole. So, oh, okay, so, cool. yeah. KM, KM, I, so in that photo, I think it's a KM 56 and then the stereo Shep's, uh, pair. Yeah. I believe that's what it is. Yeah, well, it sounds phenomenal. Although, I mean, again, you if you had recorded this on an iPhone, I think people would be still talking about how great your tone is. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, he's got that well, tone. No, man. I, that, that that's very nice. But after that photo uh, was posted, a lot of a lot of engineers says, "Well, you need a few more microphones." Uh, of course, because <laughs> it, it is it really is overkill. <laughs> Just any one of those would have been adequate, but you know. They were there. Well, yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, why limit yourself if, uh, I mean, if all else fails, you can pull them all out and just use one, you know, and yeah. you know, mix, so. And that's just, that setup is just done on, a, uh, you know, maybe four or five of the of the, of the the cuts. And then in in uh, Berkeley, I think it was two, uh, two 184s, also stereo, but, but a little different one sort of pointing at the lower end of the mandolin and the other one coming from the neck, so. I forget what else. There's some other unusual choices, and I'm not. I I I have a list of what I use, but I can't access it right now, so oh, I don't yeah, know. No worries. Yeah, sure. Um, so, um, how many versions of mixing and mastering? Like after you get done, and they send you, like, okay, here's what we got. Like, is it a pretty tedious process for you, or is it a pretty easy? Like, just tweak this thing here and there, or how deep do you go into that? 
Uh, well, my feedback, I think, was pretty, pretty straightforward. And you know, I'm, I, you know, I only care about the mandolin. I don't care about those other instruments. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's not that's not true. I would give feedback about tone uh, and levels mostly. And Ivan Rosenberg, Ivan Rosenberg, um, mixed it and mastered it. And he's he's a good friend, and he's very meticulous. And he spent a lot of time just on his own trying to get everything to sound as good as possible because in a way his job was hard because it wasn't just the same instruments from one studio. So it was the same from track to track. He had all these disparate elements that he had to, had to work with. So uh, there were a few versions, but you know, I would sign off and sometimes he'd come back and say, Hey, I found, I found a setting that makes everything sound a lot better. Check this out. And he'd be right. <laughs> So yeah, wow, that's wild, man. So, so it was it was a bit of back and forth, but um, I just you know trying to get the levels right and the tones right, and he he's he's really good. So there there it wasn't too onerous. Well, awesome, man. Well, um, I'm so excited for everybody to to hear this album. Uh, I've been lucky enough to have it now for a few weeks, and it is you know if. If you're a fan of John Reichman, obviously you're going to love it. Um, and if you've never really checked out John Reichman stuff, this is a great starting point. And then if you go back and buy everything afterwards, you're just going to be astonished by <laughs> the large, incredible body of work you're about to discover. Although I can't imagine anybody listening to this podcast isn't already familiar with with all of your work. So, Well, thank thank you, Daniel. You yeah, know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I when I started making the recording, I thought I'm just sort of recreating walk along John because there is, there are corresponding tunes on the new record that seemed like they had a, you know, a companion on the early recording. And I didn't really, I mean, I still like the tunes, but I, I wanted to, you know, have it sound different than the previous recording. And I had, when I thought about going forward with recording again, a few years ago, I thought it would be cool to sort of recreate um, some of the, the new acoustic music I used to play with Tony. And um, I don't think anything that's on this new recording sounds exactly like that, but it was something I wanted to include rather than just the bluegrass and old time influenced tunes to have some jazzier uh, presentations. And, and one tune, Cascadia. I, I was just playing the mandolin and this tune came out and I thought it sounded like another Irish-ish sounding fiddle tune. And, but then immediately I started playing around with chords and then thought about this different presentation. And so it was a, a minor. So I played it a minor seven, you know, just to make it sound jazzier and, uh, and then different set of chords. And then, you know, just turned into this different thing and then thought, well, that would be great. And I wanted to, uh, get Todd Phillips, my old friend from the Tony Rice days, to to play bass on it. So, but he'd be perfect for this. And um, and Chris Eldridge is someone I'd met a few years ago at a music camp, and we 
we had a session where we played a bunch of the old Tony tunes and I really enjoyed playing with him and then Trent on fiddle. And it just, uh, this other third part came along that, uh, has kind of a syncopated rhythm to it. So it really, even though the melody itself sounds could be presented as a fiddle tune, um, just with this different setting, it, it took on a, a different quality. So I, I'm, there's a few tunes like that on there that I'm, I'm happy that, that there's, um, a wide variety of music, even though it's all me playing the mandolin. <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't. I meant to ask you right at the top too about the title. Um, I, I love the title, and what's the the choice for the title? Well, I just I've always called those tunes like Little Pine Siskin and Salt Spring, new time music. You know, I uh, just because they're they sound kind of like old time, but. They have too many chords to really be an old time. <laughs> different, different influences, so I just call them new time music. And and there's other other people who write like that too. Like I mean, like you can call a lot of Andrew Marlin's tunes new time music. And then because I wanted to include some of the new acoustic stuff, I thought, well, I was it was it's hard to come up with titles, but I thought new time and it's new acoustic, but it's not new anymore it's old so it's old acoustic so it's just you know it's kind of my idea of a joke yeah i love it that's great yeah. man yeah well thank you so much for for doing the podcast again and taking the time to discuss this album it's it's just so good i mean it's just 14 incredible tracks if you haven't done so already go out there and buy this album and uh i should give a shout out to uh to uh, David Benedict, who's been helping me with this a lot. He's really on the ball. And he, he you know, I talked to him, he says, well, if it's one thing I know, it's how to promote a mandolin record because <laughs> he had done such a great job with his own. And uh, he's, he's, he's helped me out quite a bit. Not only is he a great mandolin player, but he's very organized and thoughtful fellow. So, uh, so that's, that's a lot of uh, the success that it's had so far is due to due to him, I would say. Yeah, he's the uh, he's the busiest guy in mandolin. <laughs> well, thank you again, John, for for doing the podcast again. It's it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you, Daniel. I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I really enjoy listening to the podcast too. It's really a, a wonderful thing you're doing. Oh, thanks so much. It blows my mind every time. Anytime so anybody says they listen to the podcast, I'm always like, just you know. Again, it started with thinking maybe ten people would hear it a month. <laughs> So no, I'm uh, always disappointed if there's a technical difficulty. In oh, there. yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the uh, main technical difficulty culprit over here, just waiting to get thrown out a window. My wife's yep. my wife's like, well, maybe there's something on there you need to save. I'm like, I don't think there's anything saving on this thing anymore. It's it's dead. <laughs> so <laughs> now it's just a motivator yeah. to back everything up. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, thank good, you good so point. much. Okay. All right. Take care.